0: Welcome to the St. James Sermon Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. When we were talking about, thank you, when we were talking about music for this worship service, I said, well, it really would fit, they'll know we are Christians by our love, uh, fit my sermon well, but uh, it's such a a ponderous melody or tune. And Liz says, not the way we do it. <laughs> and uh, absolutely right, that was beautiful, thank you. I, I love electric guitar, and what a gift it is to worship with uh, all of God's instruments, including our voices, right? I'm Eugene Scott, uh, one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to be uh, leading In worship in some way this morning sharing God's Word with you and welcome to those of you online we pray that you feel uh, a part of us uh, however and whenever you're uh, participating and, and watching this it's just so good to be here together in 2002 my mom was in the hospital and the doctors told us she had very little chance of surviving. She had COPD, had had it for many years. She was on a ventilator, was extremely weak, could not talk, was medicated and sleeping most of the time. And so we were trying to prepare ourselves, I was trying to prepare myself for the loss of my final parent to, in some ways, be an orphan. It was a painful, difficult time. Not only to be facing loss, but just the suffering that she was in uh, in those uh, days in 2002. So we went in to visit her often in the hospital, obviously. And my youngest daughter, who was then in grade school, wanted to sing for her the song, I Can Only Imagine, that song about heaven. And so we went in one night and spent some time with my mom, and Emmy sang that song to her, and we wept, and I was trying to explain to my mom that it's it's okay, we're going to miss you. We love you desperately, but you know Jesus, and Jesus loves you and you're going to be in heaven and and all this suffering she had had a difficult life all this suffering she had experienced especially in the in the COPD would be would be gone would be washed clean she would be given a new body a resurrection body and 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 sometimes when when people are are in those last stages of life they they hang on for the loved ones they say and so I kept trying to give her permission it's okay. We'll we'll miss you, but it, it, go ahead. If it's time for you to go home, go home. And she kept shaking her head, no. And I, so I would say it again. It's okay. It's okay. Shaking her head no and saying time. She was not saying it. She was just mouthing the word time, time. And I I I, I said the doctors haven't. They won't give a time. They they can't and won't say that. But it's okay if this is your time. She shakes her head and points to a pencil and a piece of paper. And so I hand it to her in a shaky hand. She writes, what time is it? (laughs) Sometimes we think more about heaven than what's actually going on right there in front of us, right? She lived um, for another year. We had a a wonderful next year with her. Uh, COPDs did eventually take her life. We got to spend some wonderful time with her connecting in this world before she actually went into that next world. Jesus' resurrection promises us heaven. And in those hospital bed, those end-of-life times, That's a great hope, isn't it? For those of us who have people who we know are secure in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, we we gather great hope from the truth of Jesus' resurrection that His life, His death on the cross, His resurrection, and His ascension into heaven promise us hope that's so great and so beautiful, despite the pain of sitting next to someone in that situation. And yet, the resurrection promises us hope, not simply for life beyond life, but for life itself. We're in the middle of a series right now called Rising with Jesus. And we're digging into how Jesus' resurrection affects our everyday lives. Most of us, maybe we we struggle with the idea of heaven and what it's about and we need to study that. Yes, but most of us take hope in heaven. Yeah, but does heaven give us hope in daily life? And today we're going to see that Paul wrote a very difficult set of passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you have uh, an access to Bible online or uh, in an actual book, uh, whatever form in the bulletin, please read along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and then 12 through 20. And we'll see how Paul makes this really difficult argument about life in Corinth and how the resurrection actually makes a difference in what these people in ancient Rome and modern America are facing. Hear now the very words of God spoken to Paul and written down by his pen by God's inspiration. And how dare you take each other to court? When you think you have been wronged, does it make any sense to go before a court that knows nothing of God's ways instead of a family of Christians? The day is coming when the world is going to stand before a jury made up of followers of Jesus. If someday you're going to rule on the world's fate, wouldn't it be a good idea to practice on some of these smaller cases? Why, we're even going to judge angels. So why not these everyday affairs and these disagreements and wrongs, as these disagreements and wrongs surface, surface, why would you ever entrust them to the judgment of people you don't trust in any other way? I say this as bluntly as I can to wake you up to the stupidity of what you're doing. Is it possible that there isn't one level-headed person among you who can make fair decisions when disagreements and disputes come up. I don't believe it. And here, you are taking each other to court before people who don't even believe in God. How can they render justice if they don't believe in the God of justice? And now on to verse 12. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the Master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. God honored the Master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the Master's body. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I lost my place. That's just so powerful. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two became one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, We must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-molded love for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging in the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let us see what God Let people see God in you through your body. So ends the reading of God's Word. May it just challenge us to the core. Bring comfort to our hearts as well. Paul's writing to a people steeped in Roman culture. And at this time, we have all heard probably of of the peace of Rome and, and the civilization that Rome brought to the world. This people in Corinth were steeped in that, in the court system, in, in the communication system, In uh, though there was a class system, there was also access to economic gain. And so they were steeped in that culture, just as we are steeped in the American culture. And, and part, as you read Corinthians, both books, you see that one of the things that the Christian people were struggling with in that time is who and where do we belong? What what is this Christian life all about? Who do we give our allegiance to? Does that sound very modern and American? That as we face day to day, we are challenged with who do we put our trust in? And they were facing the same thing, except that, like us, I believe, over and over again, they began to put their trust back in the earthly kingdoms. And so Paul says, how dare you take each other to court over trivial disagreements, being wronged by another believer, by another brother, how dare you take one another to court when that court system, and and he's not arguing that it's necessarily evil or wrong or bad. He's arguing that it can't operate based on the law of love. It doesn't know God's justice and grace and mercy. Sometimes when we think of of justice, we think of God's hammer. But there was a time when I was reveling in the truth that someone who had wronged me was going to be faced by God. And and I kept remembering justice is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I was thinking, oh, yes, that person and God came back and said, what if I choose mercy? Oh. You see, that's the justice of God, is that He bases as His justice as much on mercy. And so the, the courts cannot do that. And so Paul's saying, why do you bring your relational issues to a court that can't bring about love and forgiveness? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your God. Those kinds of concepts. Paul wants them to know, and us, that we are a people of a more true, just, vast, and powerful kingdom. We're going to call it this morning the resurrection kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom that has a law of love their court system will not apply that law of love. And so Paul says, why bring your issues there? Don't you know that you and I are going to participate in the judgment of the world, even judging angels? Now, it's hard to know what that phrase means exactly, and since Paul doesn't describe it, we could we could spend a whole Sunday school class, trying to figure it out and guessing at answers. But, But what he's really getting at is he's saying, listen, you and I are of an eternal kingdom, and when God stands up and renews this world by His judgment, we, because of the grace, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, are going to participate in that. Not even angels get to participate in that. Just we do. When you're facing, when I'm facing a relational problem that needs justice, that needs worked out, where do, you, where do we turn? How-to books? Counselors? Now, those things often have good advice and wisdom, but what Paul's challenging us as followers of Jesus to do first and foremost is recognize who we are. And because of who we are, whose court we can go to. Hebrews says it this way, we can go boldly before the throne of grace. And that's what he's calling us to do here. This is not an admonition to simply not use the courts. So unfortunately, in in modern times, churches and leadership groups of Christians have taken this verse and a couple of others and used it to hide the wrongs that have been going on in the church. Paul's point is exactly the opposite. You see, Paul went trusted in the legal system of Rome. This is not saying we should not go to the legal system, but before these relational kingdom issues, we need to go before the court of Jesus Christ, the throne of grace. His point is exactly the opposite. By our love, they will know us. So in chapter 5, he talks about openly someone who had sexual sin in the congregation. He didn't hide it. He comes out in this chapter and says, you know what? It's a shame you're taking each other to court, but the bigger shame is that you have to. Or you feel you have to. You see, the kingdom resurrection ideal, the law of love, is how to keep us from disagreements, from wronging one another. And then even because we're human when we do, Paul says you can use that kingdom, that resurrection ideal, to solve those problems. Not go outside. So this isn't just an admonition against courts. It's an admonition against the kingdom not living in us as we relate to one another, and then when we stumble and fall, not letting that resurrection kingdom bring us to the peace of Christ again. His main point here is we are people of the resurrection. Do you think of yourself that way? Do you think of yourself as... The people of St. James, the people of America, the people of Christianity. I want to challenge us this morning to begin, if, if this is the only thing we walk away with, we are the people of the resurrection. If someone came up to you and said, hi, I'm so-and-so, who are you? I'm Eugene, I'm a person of the resurrection. Yes, that would be extremely odd, but it might start a good conversation. And it would be true. We are people of the resurrection, and so we can live resurrection relationships. We're not being asked to hide our disagreements, but rather to apply the truth of the resurrection to them. What does it mean to have resurrected relationships? Their relationships with other people who are created in God's image, whom Jesus viewed as worthy and loved, and he gave his life for them, no matter color, race, sex, station, etc., as we heard Wayne so beautifully preach last week. Relationships with people who are created in God's image and loved by Jesus Christ. They're relationships that are based on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of resurrection, not the kingdom of earth. What that means is that all the things that Jesus describes and the Scripture describes about what the kingdom is like are true in our relationships, more true than what we hear on the news or read in a book or see in the courts. Finally, and this is the beautiful thing, they are relationships which have no end. I mean, think of it. I was a youth pastor here in the 80s, and then I'm back here as a pastor again. And we're going to be together in heaven. You see, God just has this plan. He keeps going. Relationships with no end. When we lived in Tulsa in the 90s, uh, I had a next-door neighbor a widowed woman who was a Christian, but she was a very, very difficult person to get along with. She constantly accused me of trying to wrong her, to hurt her. No matter what I said, no matter what I did, she was just always accusing me of some kind of wrong. I was trying to figure out how to how to straighten her out, how to get things right, how to prove to her that I I wasn't the person she was thinking of. And and God's Spirit spoke to my spirit in that time and and said, Eugene, I created her in my my image. She's my beloved. No matter how hard she is to get along with, Jesus died for her as well as you. And, and, And furthermore, she's alone. She's a widow. She's been mistreated. She's afraid. That's who she is, Eugene. She's my child. And out of that conversation with God, I decided I would just start mowing her lawn as every time I mowed mine. And I did that, and she still kept coming and accusing me of things and being angry with me. But it changed my view of her, and my one-sided relationship with her, because I began to see her as who she really is, a resurrected sister in Christ. Look around you. Every person in this room, whether six feet apart or not, whether wearing a mask or not, whether white well, okay, most of us are that, unfortunately, but, but you, know, you, you know what I mean. Different from us. Every person is created in the image of God, is loved by Jesus Christ enough for Him to suffer on the cross for them, and either is headed toward resurrection and eternity, or could be. That truth alone Can change life here and now. The foundational truth of us being a redeemed resurrection community is what Paul is bringing into the discussion of disputes with one another and our view also of our own bodies. How does the resurrection affect relationships? it gives us an assurance that there is a deeper reason in our lives and a firm justice in this kingdom. He basically says you don't have to wrestle justice out of another human. You could trust God with that. But then he goes on and he says, your bodies matter. So, the first half of this passage, he's basically saying to, to us and, and the Corinthians that we are so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. Heaven has no impact on how they're dealing with their relationships with one another. And if heaven did, they would relate to one another differently. But in the second section, he basically says, You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. So at the same time, they're worrying about the court system and who's going to protect them in this world, and yet they viewed their bodies as not being designed and loved by God, and so they're saying, we can do whatever we want. And there was a group in this congregation that, that said, no, it's okay to go and, and participate in temple prostitution. It's okay to, to eat whatever you want. It, it, it doesn't matter because the body doesn't matter. Does that sound like some people today on different issues? That, that sometimes we talk about the body as if what really matters is our soul or our spirit? There's an old saying, or there's a saying that, that is misattributed to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis didn't say this. We don't know who did, but it's, it goes this way. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. But that's not biblically true. In the beginning, God molded us out of dirt, and then He blew His Spirit into us. And then He said, this is very good. Our created bodies are beautiful. So we're not only a resurrection people, but you and I live in resurrection bodies. Jesus Christ came back as a body. Thomas, touch me. Peter, eat with me. For several reasons. One of the prime was to show us that when He said, The kingdom is at hand, that it's right here and now. Remember at the beginning of of his ministry, Jesus said that? But then later near the end of his ministry, he said, And I go to the Father to prepare a room for you. The kingdom is then. He's bringing the two things together in reality. We are a resurrection people, and our relationships can reflect that, and we have um, resurrection bodies. They're getting prepared for the resurrection, and the way we relate to ourselves and other people's bodies can reflect that as well. Paul highlights sexual issues here, not only because it's a problem for most communities and most times in history, but because he wants us to know that that is the one thing that God created that shows us how the spiritual and the physical come together. That like Peterson translates, this sex isn't just skin on skin. It's a spiritual intimacy with another human being, just like being one with Christ is sharing our body with his body. Our bodies have no end. Yes, my mother is buried in Fort Logan Cemetery, and we don't know what she's gonna look like when we see her in heaven, but she's gonna be who God created her to be at birth in more ways that are true and real because we have bodies that have no end. What we're tra- talking about here is that the resurrection is a truth that tells us that the end changes the rest of the story. I don't know if any of you are familiar with um, John Irving. He wrote The World According to Garp, a my favorite novel, uh, the, one of my favorite novels, uh, *A Prayer, the, a Prayer for Owen Meany, I can't even muff the title when it's, I've read it several, several times. Um, Updike writes precisely the end sentence of his novels before he begins them, and he writes to the end. Can you imagine that? So if you go and read the last sentence of A Prayer for Owen Meany, that's the sentence he started with. Another writer um, wrote this about reading any of uh, John Irving's novels. She wrote, to follow an Irving narrative requires you squelch your impatience and sink into the couch cushions, trusting that somewhere on this ship, no matter how apparently aimless its course, stands a master navigator who knows exactly where he's going. So if you've read an Irving novel, you know that, I mean, he's just telling story after story and, and you're wondering, where is this going? But then you think, oh yeah, he wrote the last sentence. That's where it's going. I can't wait to get there. How much more is this true as resurrection people, that no matter how apparently aimless your life course No no matter how difficult or strange or painful or even beautiful or confusing, there stands on the deck a navigator, a redeemer God who knows exactly where it's going. Today, God knows the last sentence of your life. We can know that the last sentence of our life is resurrection, is seeing Jesus face to face and no longer seeing through a dark dimly, knowing the truth as Jesus knows the truth. That's the end of the story, and knowing the ending brings hope for tomorrow, but more so, hope to live free in God's grace today. Today, we're memorializing those, more so tomorrow, right, who served our country. Many of them died performing brave acts because they believed in the resurrection. Not just because they believed in America, but because they knew they could give themselves for a cause. And if they lost their life in that cause... They had a God who's a just, merciful, forgiving God of resurrection. We have that same God of resurrection. We don't need to put our hope in the armies that those great people died in, or the government that sent them out. As good as any of those things at times may be, We don't need to put our hope there. Our hope is in the God of the resurrection. Today, we're also remembering those who have passed this last year. C.S. Lewis did say this Christians never have to say goodbye. So, if you're holding a rose, if you're holding someone in your heart who's passed, in Christ, it's not goodbye. Let's see you soon. Sooner than you know. Because of the resurrection, we'll see them again. The resurrection brings hope for today and for tomorrow. The challenge that Paul wants us to know today is that let's, let's start thinking about resurrection today, not just hope for heaven. Resurrection promises healthier relationships with others now, and even with our own bodies. The promise of the end changes everything about the story now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that even something as powerful, as prevalent, as achingly hard and fearful as death is under your thumb that you have the final word. And that final word is in Jesus Christ, resurrection. God, help us believe that. Help us see the people around us as eternal and sacred. Help us see ourselves as eternal and sacred and loved by you. Change us this morning into resurrection people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm St. James is a Presbyterian church located in Littleton, Colorado. Find us on the web at www.sjpres.org or email us at contact at sjprez.org.